Well, thank you, Connection Point. Thanks so much for, for having me, and uh, it's always good to be, be with you. It really is a life-giving time. I'm, uh, I, I'm slowly but surely falling in love with Indiana, and uh, it's a blessing to, to be able to be, be back here with you. Um, doesn't Pastor John have pretty blue eyes? I don't know if it's like the 4K video or what the deal is, but I was just mesmerized there as I was just, you know, drifting into his eyes like moth to a flame. So when he comes back, just let's, let's do this together. When he comes back and you see him, just walk right up and go, man, you have pretty blue eyes. And see how many times before he recognizes we were all in on the, on the joke. Um, I'm, I'm really thankful to be here, but I'm going to be honest with you today, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, I'm not sleepy tired, but kind of soul tired, and I'm not quite sure if uh, there's, you know, a half a dozen of you that can relate, or half of you, or more, but it, it's been a trying year plus on really the whole world, um, certainly uh, experienced the spectrum of, of uh, loss. And this year in particular, just in my own family, we're tired. Um, we've just experienced kind of a, a full year of, of loss in a bunch of different areas. But my, my wife lost her dad in, in January. Uh, my grandmother passed in uh, April. And then uh, since I was with you in July, my natural father just passed. We actually just had his memorial yesterday uh, online via Zoom. And the sum total of all of that, coupled with everything else that's going on, has just made me kind of wiped out and tired and exhausted. And then you turn on the news and you hear what's going on in Haiti, you hear what's going on in Afghanistan, you watch what's going on in our country, and my goodness, whatever you did have left over, that just sucks your heart dry. And what I get concerned about on so many levels is that when we get tired, we get susceptible. And uh, our culture is just firing so much at us at any given moment about how we should think and how we should feel. Our culture is just firing constant messages even about you, your identity, uh, culture's firing all sorts of messages about who you could be or who you should be or how you should think or how you should feel or what status you should have or what value you have or what value you don't have. And the, the more tired you are, the more susceptible you are to maybe swallowing some of those messages or maybe those messages, if they've been particularly loud or particularly constant. Maybe it hasn't been that barrage of messages just for a couple of months or a year or two. Maybe the messages that you've been hearing about who you are have been constant for as long as you can remember. Then what do you do? What makes it worse is so many times what our culture is firing at us is, is very unhealthy. What our culture is firing at us is messages that are, are directed at me and you, but they're really unattainable, or they're just outright fake. They're, they're lies. 
A few years ago, the Dove company that makes shampoo and soaps, uh, they put together a, a kind of a service announcement, commercial sort of thing, just to get our attention about these sorts of messages, and I'd love to share it with you. Take a look at this. See, what if the stuff that we're looking at that is communicating to us who we should be was never real or attainable in the first place? Uh, this is such a reminder that the enemy uses all sorts of different avenues to try to get us away from the truth and swallowing all sorts of lies or unhealth hook, line, and sinker. And so many of us, when it comes to our identity, who, who we are, uh, we, we kind of think that maybe the sum total of who we are is just based on our looks, uh, our financial status, maybe our family background, our sexuality, our gender, our race, our uh, successes. Maybe our identity has been frozen by some particular failures. Maybe our identity is just the sum total of just those components. But if I ask you, who are you? I mean, really, what would you say? If we were to sit down for coffee and I asked you, who are you, but you couldn't tell me your age or what you did for a living, or how many kids you had, what would you tell me? Who are you, really? This is a, it's a, it's a oddly difficult question. We, we can come up with a handful of different metrics to, to uh, build who we are. And sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's subconscious. And here, here's a handful of ways to kind of process who you are really. Is who you are really how you see yourself? What you think about yourself, what you feel about yourself? That's probably a default position for most of us. Who you are is just based on what you see about you. You get to define you. Now, that's okay to an extent because arguably you know yourself pretty well. The difficulty with that is, is if who you really are is how you see yourself, 
If you're like me, then one day I see myself pretty decent, and then tomorrow it's not going to be that way at all. So which one's the real me? I wish sometimes that it was just I see myself this way one day and differently the next, because usually it's I see myself this way one particular hour, and then the next hour it's entirely different. So which is the real me? When I'm at the top of the mountain or in the valley? Who are you really? Is it how you see yourself? Or maybe is it how others see you? Ooh, what a horrid option that one is. What if who you really are is how others see you? My goodness, that would be exhausting. I just think about how many people see me and all the different potential uh, opinions that people can have of me. Which one of you is right? Well, I would like to pick. (laughs) And then you might get a perception of me in a particularly good season or a particularly bad season. So then again, we can't base our identity on how we see ourselves or how others see us. So what if who you really are is how you want others to see you? We're really good at this, especially in America. There's a whole industry that emanated out of Hollywood of people who have an actual vocation called image consultants. And they have a whole profession, a whole vocation built around creating an image for a celebrity, for someone that's in the public spotlight. They make a brand out of a person. And the, 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 the image that they create doesn't necessarily have to reflect the person at all. It's just a facade that gets put out to the public in a number of different areas. We can do the same thing. We can create this facade that we put up in front of everybody else. But is that who you really are? It might be the, the reason that you have a feeling that, oh my goodness, If people only knew the real me, I don't think they would like me because we've put up a facade that is is different from who we know we really are on the inside. And this can be an exhausting pursuit. What if who you really are is not how you see yourself? What if who you really are is not how others see you? What if who you really are is not how you want others to see you? What if who you really are is how God sees you? You know, he's your maker. He's your creator. I would argue, and I believe it's biblical, that he knows you better than you know you. And I know that the volume of our culture, the volume even of our own thoughts, feelings, opinions about ourselves, other people's opinions of who we are is very, very loud. It's deafening today. What if we learned to turn the volume down on those messages and cranked up the volume on what God says is most true about you, most true about your identity? I think this is key because I can tell you this. If you see yourself differently than God sees you, I'll tell you this. One of you is mistaken. 
And, and I'm in this lifelong journey now since Jesus rescued me to keep turning the volume down and all the junk and cranking up the volume on his voice because it turns out he's spoken an awful lot about me and you and, and who we really are, how God sees us. It begs the question, how does God see us? We'll spend a couple of weeks talking about it. Today's not rocket science. Today, I just want to encourage you. Today, I want to, I want to remind you of something that I hope will just be encouraging to you. It might be brand new to some of you, but it might be just an opportunity for others of you to be kind of brought up from the pit for the Lord to lift you up in your mind, in your heart, to remind you of how he sees you today. If you have your Bible, look at Psalm 139. This is my favorite psalm in the scriptures. It's Maybe my favorite set of verses in the scriptures, but Psalm 139, it's a psalm of, of David's, King David in the Old Testament. And if you're not real familiar, his, his relationship with God was a roller coaster. When David was on in his relationship with God, he was really on. And when he was off, he was really off. But I think he'd really cultivated a, a real relationship with the Lord. He'd come to understand a great deal about the character and the nature of God in the high points and in the low points. And I think he'd learned an awful lot about what God sees in him through his successes and his failures. It would have been easy for David to to learn his identity as a sum total of just him as king or him as warrior, or him as musician, just based on simply his talents or his successes or his failures. But what we see in this psalm is not even so much the beauty of, of what David was aware of his own identity, but what God had done in creating him. You know, God created you. You ever wonder why God loves you? There's dozens and dozens of reasons we could cite about why God loves you, but one of the huge reasons that he loves you is because he made you. And in Psalm 139, David's reflecting on this. It's what he's come to understand about his identity, how God sees him and it's true for me and you as well. Psalm 139, look at verse 13. It says, for you created my inmost being, God. You, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Knit me together. And if you kind of decipher the language there, uh, it's this idea that you were fashioned, you were designed you were knit together. You were woven together. You weren't just thrown together. You're not the process of evolution where you were in some cosmic ooze and over millions of years kind of just happened upon itself. But you were made by a creator, knit together. You weren't the product of some assembly line where God was just cranking out human beings but you were created unique. Listen to me. 
You, every single one of you here, every single one of you that are joining in as a part of our online family, you are a unique creation of Almighty God. He's given you uh, gifts and talents and abilities that he's not given other people. Experiences, you name it. Some of you are very scientific. Others of you are artists. Some of you are really good with people. Some of you are good thinkers. Others of you are really good at organizing things. Some of you are athletes. You go on and on and on, and the, the beautiful uniqueness that God has placed in you, it's not for no reason. No one can do on this earth what God put you here to do. And he loves for you to discover that unique gifting that he's given you, the unique wiring and combination of all aspects of who you are. You are a unique creation of almighty God. I am too, look at me. I'm unique. I told you, I look like Howie Mandel and Voldemort had a baby. My face is huge. And it's getting bigger every single day. When I started to lose my hair, oh, that was so sad. For a while, I thought I would take Rogaine. That's a liquid, if you're not real familiar, that you put on your head and it helps you grow hair like a Chia pet or something. <laughs> it made me wonder, though, you're putting that on your head. What if some of that should roll down your back? You drop some on your feet and suddenly you're the hobbit. This is not good. Look, it's Frodo. I don't, I don't want that. But it's how God made me. He made me to look this way uniquely. And if that makes you laugh, good. It's part of my unique design to have this sort of face. It's part of this unique design that he's given me, knowing that, my goodness, I'd be up front. If God doesn't have a sense of humor, then I, I don't know what proves that more. But a lot of times when we hear the word unique, for us, we use unique as a nice way of saying weird. But it's almost like David anticipated that, God anticipated that. You're not just unique weird. You're unique Wonderful. Listen to me now. This is where he goes next in verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Ladies, girls, please listen to me now. I know what he says about you. I know what the culture says about you. And that your value is only found over here, here, and there in these very small categories. That is lies direct from the enemy, from the pit of hell. You are not the sum total of your appearance. You are beautiful creation unique and wonderful. 
God didn't make any mistakes on you. Guys, it's the same for you. He's not made any mistakes on you. I know that's not rocket science, but how many messages do we tell ourselves or get communicated to us by other unhealthy, broken people that tell us we're worthless, we're never gonna be good enough, there's nothing wonderful about us? The enemy would love for you to walk around constantly with that in the backdrop of your life. Just a constant voice. You're not good enough. You're really not unique. You're nothing special. You're not wonderful at all. And your creator says something entirely different about you. Don't forget it. And then in verse 15 and 16, these thoughts come. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, talking about the womb, your eyes saw my unformed body, and then look, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's true of every single one of you, and quite honestly true of every single one of you even if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, these qualities and characteristics are true of all human beings because we're all made in the image of God. We're made in the image of our creator. You were made unique and wonderfully so, but then you were given some days to live. And the days that you have been given were given for a reason. They were ordained by your creator. They were planned by your creator. They were planned in advance by your creator. It's like God's got this cosmic to-do list. And then he's got his creation over here. And he loves connecting the dots between his precious creation and what his purposes are. And when his creation wakes up to the days that they've got to live weren't just meant to be about them. It's actually not confining, it's freeing. It's, it's cause for celebration. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God had your picture hanging on his wall. He loves you so much. He created you wonderfully to live some days out. Now the volume of our days is all different. There are some that from my perspective are gone too soon, but I'm thankful for the ones that maybe have their time cut short who lived every day aware of their creator and the purpose for which they were created. Those that have a long life on earth, relatively speaking. To give all of their days in relationship with the Heavenly Father. And just open and aware that every single day is an opportunity to be loved by God and to love and serve other people. I know it's not rocket science, but man, oh man, the volume 
is so loud on a completely different way to live. The volume is so loud on who you're not. And God's got some great things to say about us. You're all made in the image of God. But then what I'm hoping and praying for is that you've been rescued by Jesus. You've been brought into a relationship with Jesus. Because when that happens, then there's a whole new set of things that get attached to your identity, who you are. You continue to be unique and wonderful with some days to live, but now you're awakened to a whole different reality, and he reshapes your identity in some pretty special ways. There was this little boy who, who made a toy boat all by himself. He crafted a, a toy sailboat. It took him weeks and weeks to make it. And when he had finished making it, he was so excited to go try it out. He ran out to a nearby stream and he put the boat in the stream gently because he wasn't sure if it would sink. It didn't. And the current caught the, the boat and it began to carry it away. And he ran along the side of the stream so excited that the boat that he had made was, was sailing down this stream. Then the current picked up and the wind picked up. And it began to outpace his ability to run and it swept his boat away. And he lost it. Heartbroken, he went back home. Tears are coming down his face, and he's saying, Mommy, Daddy, the boat that I had made, I, I lost it. The, the stream took it away. And they felt bad, too. A couple of weeks later, they were walking downtown, and they passed the toy shop. In the glass window, the boy looked up and stunned. He saw his toy boat on display up in the window, the one that he had made. He rushed inside and talked to the toy shop owner. He said, that's my boat. That's my boat. And, and the owner said, ah, I'm so sorry. But somebody brought that in, and I paid money for it. And so you're going to have to pay money for it to get it back. But I'll take it off the shelf. I'll, I'll keep it for you. And the boy spent the next couple of weeks earning money to afford to go back and buy his boat. When he did it, he rushed back to the toy shop owner. He gave the money over. The owner gave the boat over. And the boy was just elated. He walked out and he looked at his boat and he said, awesome. First I made you, then I bought you. Now you're really mine. You know, that's, that's God's perspective toward me and you. First I made you, then I bought you. I purchased you with my son. I bought you back from the enemy. When I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and take the sin of the world on himself for you. And now for those of you that have that relationship of your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus, then my goodness, there's a identity shift. There's a purpose shift. In the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter two, Paul writing this said, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
We are God's handiwork. Other translations say masterpiece or work of art. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, did you wake up this morning in all humility before your creator and look at yourself in the mirror and go, that's a work of art right there. <laughs> you could have. Or if you're like me, I woke up at the, the mirror in the, this morning and went, oh. You ever do that? You just, you just think about, you know, you're brushing your teeth or shaving or whatever. If you're a woman, you're not shaving, you're brushing your teeth. And then I've got a mirror over here, and I spit down here, putting water on my face, and I look up over here, and my face is still hanging downward now. I'm at that age. And so I'm having to relearn. I'm having to relearn what God says about me. The reality is our value is never meant to be placed on our looks or appearance in the first place. You know, all human beings, every single human being has a unique mix of these things right here. Personality, interests, talents, your family background, it's shaped you. Your experiences, even the painful ones, have shaped you. Your physical location that we're in the United States of America, that you're in Indiana, that you're on the particular street you are, in the neighborhood you're in, your workplace, the particular moment in history that God has chosen to place you is unique to you. I mean, it's exponential now when you just begin to combine these things. But then for those in Christ, you've also got a new heart you're not controlled by an old heart, a, a dead heart, a damaged heart. He gives you a brand new one. That's true about you. You've got a new relationship with God. You're not an enemy of his anymore. You're a friend of his. He's proud to call you his friend. That's true about you. You've got a new perspective. You know that your unique gifting and wiring wasn't meant to be focused completely on you or all about you. You got a different perspective on the way that you see the world. You've got a different perspective on the way that you see your fellow man, your fellow woman. You know that the sum total of people isn't just finances and family background and what job you have. You've also got spiritual gifting for a brand new purpose. I love that. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, he gives you a spiritual gift or two or three. You can read about them in Corinthians or Ephesians. They're these superpowers that God gives his people to accomplish his purposes in the kingdom of God. And while you're here on earth, if you don't know what they are, go discover what they are and then put them to use. Some of you can come up with a dozen different amazing things that you're good at. Others of you, you struggle to think of one or two. And what I'm praying for you is that you would just have kind of a, a detox season where you delete, edit, block, turn down, turn off any of the trash, the junk, 
that's speaking death and negativity about who you really are. And you would crank up the volume on what God says about you, how God sees you. Some of you, that's gonna take the next month of work, maybe the next year. Tuning in for 30 minutes, closing the book and shutting it, that's not gonna be enough. Speaking of the book, too many of us spend too much time on Facebook and not ever put our face in the book. That's gotta change. No wonder we don't know who we are. But you're unique and you're wonderful and you've been given some precious days to live. Don't forget it. I know you've been through challenges and difficult stuff and those challenges, those people, those circumstances, your own thoughts and emotions may be communicating something different to you, but there are better days ahead. I've got a friend that's about 20 years younger than I am. He's in his late 20s now, but when he was nine years old, he saw an advertisement about some horror going on in Africa. He found out that in 2004 this was, 2,057 orphans would be made every single day in Africa because their parents were dying from HIV and AIDS. And at nine years old, he already had a relationship with God and he just sensed that he should do something about it. So he asked for some help and and his parents talked him through it. He couldn't figure out what he was good at. He was only nine, but the only thing he could come up with was he loved basketball. And so he decided to shoot 2,057 free throws in one day to represent the 257, 2,057 orphans that would be made that day because of AIDS and asked friends and family to sponsor him while he shot those free throws. He made it. He made 2,057 free throws in one day. Friends and family came out to his school gym to support him. I mean, this little guy was exhausted by the time he was done. He made $3,000 in one day as a nine-year-old. He sent that money off to an organization in Africa, and it was enough to sponsor eight orphans for an entire year. All because a nine-year-old boy said, I got a heart, I'm here. All because a nine-year-old boy said, I, I'm decent at basketball, maybe God could use that. Turns out he had more even to offer. By the time he was 16, he'd authored two books that got published and he started a nonprofit organization called Hoops of Hope that since hundreds and hundreds of other people have participated in similar events that raise money that go now, Hoops of Hope is responsible for building schools, medical clinics, hospitals, getting equipment to orphans in need in Africa. Well over a million dollars has been raised and sent over because a nine-year-old boy said, God, use me. Let's start with basketball. God can use anything, anything that he's given you. He's already using so many of you that way. Don't give up. He might use you on a global scale. 
he might use you just as powerfully in your own home. But when you come back often to how God sees you, what he thinks about you, you are, listen to me, a unique creation of Almighty God, wonderful, with some days of purpose. And we're listening to him. Some better days are ahead, not just for you, but the people that he wants to bless all around you. That's true about you today. And so gracious Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would encourage us. We ask that you would strengthen us this week. Help us, God, turn down the volume on the junk and the lies and the unhealth. Help us, God, come to you and learn more and more about how you see us, what you have said about us, what you've got for us, our true identity. Help us trust you. Father, I pray for those that have been hearing and feeling and sensing they're not good enough, that you don't care for them, that they don't really have anything to author. Would you change their mind and their perspective and their heart even now? Would you help the rest of us just continue to see how you can use all aspects of what's going on in our life and all aspects of our gifting and all aspects of our heart to be a blessing. God, we thank you that you are the master maker and creator. We cling to you now asking you to encourage, shape, direct, and strengthen our hearts however you see fit. In Jesus' name.